Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast. And we are back again. It is the three motherfuckers. You have Sarge, the Reverend, and the Professor. And we are joined today by our guest, Victory MMA out of Farmington, Missouri. And we have Aaron Collins, the owner, and we have Scott what's Marler. Your, Marler, Scott Marler. Scott Marler. I'm sorry for not knowing your last name right away. So you guys are hailing from Farmington. What brings you out to see us today? Uh, just come out to see what this is all about. Have you listened to the podcast at all? Yeah, I listened to a couple episodes. Oh, what'd you think? Uh, it's okay to say you hate us. Come on. No. You still showed up. No, yeah. I, mean, uh, I think it's good. I think it's, uh, it shines some light. You guys cover some real, um, some real difficult topics, so enjoy it. Fair. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming up. So a little bit of background for the audience, because I know that they don't know. I have a relationship with Aaron. Uh, for a few years, I've, I, I think we started knowing each other back in 2014. Yeah, I think so. When you were running the classes down there in Farmington at Farmington Martial Arts. Right. And we linked up and then you showed up and you told me that you came from Fawat out of, uh, Team Vagi up in St. Louis. Right, right. Yeah, and when I moved down here, there was no Muay Thai down here, and there was no jiu-jitsu, and then they started a jiu-jitsu program, and then I think you started a Muay Thai program over there, and I think that's where we met. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and like how you got to become owner of Victory Mixed Martial Arts? Hmm. Well, about 25 years ago, I started training with Fouad Karanovic, and uh, fought for about seven years and trained on and off over the years, started coaching and um, I was training at a gym in Farmington and it had gone out of business like 10 times in nine years. <laughs> and so I just bought it and uh, we changed the name to Victory MMA and ran with it from there. So you started training Muay Thai back when Muay Thai wasn't popular. How did how did you end up in the Muay Thai gym? You know, what would have been popular back in those days would have been a little bit of the kickboxing, some karate. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, when I was younger, I was rowdy, got in a lot of street fights, things like that. And I decided I wanted to learn martial arts. Um, I went into a couple karate gyms and it was just silly, like tiger paw, groin kick. And I'm like, this isn't it. And I walked into a place called Bushido Martial Arts and that was Fwad's first gym. And uh, he was in there kicking a bag in half, and I thought, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Not tiger paw. It was blunt force trauma, you know. Yeah. And then I was hooked on Muay Thai from there. Yeah, so you started training for what back when he was fighting. He was still competing. Yes. Yeah, so he was a pro Muay Thai fighter at that time, and so you started training there. Now, how long before you got to the status to where you were kind of like working with him or some of the other fighters in the gym? How long, how long before you started fighting? Uh, probably about eight or nine months or so. And then, yeah, it just seemed like every weekend we were heading to fight somewhere. I mean, of course, back then there was no Missouri Athletic Commission or sanctioning bodies. It was pretty much all smokers and tournaments, things like that. And like you said, Muay Thai was pretty new. It, was, it got popular for a long time in St. Louis area, uh, but it was pretty new to the area. Right. And so what, what year was that? 
you. Twenty five years ago. Twenty five <laughs> years ago. Just just a minute. Okay. Now, was there a vetting process that Fawat had before he allowed you to start fighting, or was that time frame based on you? Have you met Fawad? Uh, the vetting process is just uh, Fawad teaching, and then uh, you spar with Fawad, and then Fawad says it's okay. Fair. Yeah, no, I've, I've trained with him a few times, but I've never been at his gym. Uh, you know, well, I went to his gym when he was at Voggies, and I trained there, and then I've seen him a few times when he's been at Ron's, and then obviously at your place. Um, but I have not trained with Fawad any period of time to, like, train under him. So, yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but that seems pretty accurate from what I know of Fawad. He's a... Now, Fawad's style is more of like a Dutch Muay Thai. Uh, how, did he ever explain how he evolved into that from Ron's style? Uh, yeah, because when I first started training with Fawad, he, back then he gave out VHS copies of Ramon Decker. And he would say, move like this guy, be like this guy. You know, oh, that tour. was his idol. Yes. Okay. And Fouad being from Bosnia, he had more of a leaning towards the Dutch style than traditional Muay Thai, to where it was more heavily focused on better hands as opposed to traditional Muay Thai. It was more kicks and knees. And, uh, and I think that really gave us a benefit. Cause it's, and later on, it became a rule that your hands are your primary weapon. Kicks and knees are secondary. Right. You know, outbox them first. You know? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So where does jiu-jitsu come in? Because you also, I, I don't know your current rank in jiu-jitsu. What is your current rank, and who are you belted under? I'm a purple belt, four-stripe purple belt under uh, Leo Piscina and uh, Jason Smith out of Maelstrom BJJ in St. Louis. Okay, cool. Respect. Um, now, the story behind, <laughs> uh, I was a big-time kickboxer, Muay Thai guy for a long time, Um one time in the gym, Fwad says, hey, this guy wants to spar. And I go in there, big muscular guy. And I kick him in the head a few times. And he grabs my leg, takes me down. Before I even hit the ground, he's like wrist locking me, arm barring me, triangling me. And being a kickboxer, I just want to get back up. But this guy's like an anaconda wrapped around me, just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I'm like, just let me up, just let me up. He stands up. He says, 90% of fights end up on the ground. So if you don't know how to fight on the ground, then you don't know how to fight. Like your fancy little head kicks are real cool and all, but uh, you'd be dead in the real world. Turned out it was Rodrigo Vaghi. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, then. Okay, and it was, it was an eye-opener because um, I felt like even in a self-defense situation, if I got into a fight at a gas station and tripped over a curb and fell down, I had absolutely no idea what to do on the ground. So after that point, I was like, I'm going to start checking into that jujitsu stuff and stuck with it for a long time. And so where did you start? Did you start at Voggies then? Yeah, I started, started at Voggies. Um, then uh, Tracy Taylor, uh, he's one of Voggies' black belts now, but he opened a gym out in Wentzville, and that was closer to my house. So I started training under Tracy Taylor and Mike Rogers out of St. Charles MMA. Mm -hmm. And uh, hey, They've been there for a while, huh? Yeah. Interesting. So, and then you transitioned from there because when I met you, you were kind of not in the jujitsu game because of where we were at in Farmington, there was nobody that you could be belted by, right? And then you, what what gym was that that you affiliated with? Are you still affiliated with them? Uh, yeah. Um, basically, Tracy. So I was belted under Tracy Taylor, and kind of like when we opened the gym down in Farmington, they said, "Well, you guys got to affiliate under us." 
but they said like you, you're not allowed to train at other gyms you're not allowed to cross train and things like that and i didn't really understand that and uh we ended up a, fr- a friend of ours knew jason smith and uh so we he had he had broken away and what was that before the affiliation it, it was s2 oh nova Uno. Uh, yeah we were with nova Uno for the first year right and then because that well, and Jason was at S two, and then he broke off and, and created Maelstrom about that same time. And then, and then, Leo broke away from Novo Unyao and started uh, Kronos Jiu Jitsu. So, as far as lineage, anyway, I contacted Jason. So Jason was trained under Vagi, also. Um, whatever the falling out was, I don't know, but he went with Kronos after that. So we affiliated underneath Jason, and we've had a great relationship ever since then and no regrets at all with that and you guys are allowed to cross train and we're allowed to cross train yes that's it's awesome. actually encouraged <laughs> yeah that's so that's awesome, so awesome. Yeah, I, I come from i started training at the very first 10th planet st louis back in like 2011 and then moved away and then went to vegas where in vegas the majority of fighters are hopping between these big name gyms and they're not just stay they have their main coaches for sure but they're not just they're not just staying stagnant in one spot and only training with the same people. They're getting variety and they're going around. And you would see there's like there's a thousand gyms in Vegas, but you have like the top four and those are where they circulate. And then to come to here where there's that, I hate it, like 1990s Cobra Kai style vibe where we can't, you look down upon to tr- cross train. It's not because they're fearful, I guess, or something but to come in and have you guys pop up and come in i mean i've had scott whoop my ass a bunch of times now and it just for me being where i am in jujitsu to find rounds that i can get pushed it's you know it's admirable that i can call upon that and you know we have to look for that around here well that's what i was going to say like in farmington it's it's not just that we want to cross train but it's more a necessity if you're going to fight you know we have such a small stable right our 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 fighter stable right now is like three or four guys right so you're in vegas you might have 20 25 guys at a gym at all different weights um but at all in farmington we have such a small group that we can't survive in the fight game if we're not traveling and so between us going um, up to St. Louis to roll with our black belt, Jason, at his gym, uh, we also cross-train over with uh, Brazilian Mike uh, Ruthmeyer at BJJ Lifestyles. We come mm-hmm. up and train with you. Um, and we, we go everywhere and train with everybody. But like I said, I think it, it was it's more than for us than just like, hey, we want to have the ability. It's like... You know, if I got three guys that I'm training with, you know, I may have 15 white belts, but at, at when you get into an advanced level in jiu-jitsu, that, you don't need to be training with that, them on a daily basis if you're trying to compete, right? right. Yep. So yeah. how long have you been with Victory? And did you start originally with Victory, or did you start under another organization? Actually, I think like all martial artists, we all have that story, right? Like... Um, my story started when I was a kid. I tell everybody I was a, I was born a fighter, and I think that you have to be that way. I think that I don't think that you can just uh, wake up one day and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna go be a, I'm gonna go be a fighter," because you don't play fight, right? Like you play football, you play basketball, you don't play fight. Um, so when I was a kid, I, I loved martial arts movies. And I'm such a nerd, right? Like I loved Bruce Lee, and I loved um, 
uh, Sylvester Stallone. And I love those movies. And I would come home and I would box in the living room and had no idea what I was doing. But there was nothing in this area. So I'm born and raised in the Farmington area uh, from Elvins, Missouri, which is a little um, town that's unincorporated now. But like there was nothing. And so I did karate as a kid because that's what there was. Like at the, at the local weightlifting gym, there was a guy who was a karate guy and he taught us. And uh, so I did that until I made yellow belt. And then uh, I just kind of washed out of it and was like, Aaron, I was like, I just don't think that this is realistic. And then um, later on in life, I got into, I, I always said that I wanted to fight and um I moved to Mattoon, Illinois with work at the time, and I found a guy named Tim Ficus, and he owned, like, the stereotypical uh, – I mean, the gym's name was Dojo USA. Like, <laughs> you can imagine what we were learning at Dojo USA. <laughs> but he did teach some bona fide jiu-jitsu. Um, he did teach some open and closed guard stuff and a little bit of, like, half guard and passing and basic submissions, right? So – that then I knew I was like, okay, so I can subtract like this portion, this portion over here that's just complete and total bullshit, and I'm gonna keep this. Um, and then I, I kind of got wrapped up in work and stuff. So in 2015, when we were still at our old location, which was at the factory in Farmington, you know, um, I turned like 29 or 30. I can't remember. I think it was on my 30th birthday. I walked in and I was like, hey, if I'm gonna do this, I think I need to do it right now. And, uh, Aaron and I started training together. And in those early days, it was me and Aaron, like in the mornings, Philip, uh, Lewis Schilling, we had just this core of these, this group of guys that just trained together that are brothers now. But yeah, I guess the, 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 the long answer to your question is I, I started in 2015 training real, what I would consider martial arts and had, Zero interest in Muay Thai, but Aaron said I had to do it because they wouldn't let me um, pull guard in an MMA fight. So, uh. dude, that's so crazy. Both your stories very like there's similarities. Like, I literally came up in a traditional Taekwondo school, but we did cross train. And the great we were in Oregon, and the Gracies came up, did a ground fighting seminar. I'm a secondary black belt and got balled the fuck up after kicking a brown belt in the head, bad in front of all my students running a school. And then when I went in the army, I had a buddy who trained Muay Thai and I was like, yeah, that, that dog don't hunt anymore. And it made me kind of say, well, that belt doesn't matter at all. Time to train in other stuff that does. It's, it's crazy, but it's just where America was at that time. There wasn't a lot of reputable places that were really doing real shit, real. Yeah. Real stuff. <laughs> and then that's why the army went to the modern army combatives. It's based off, jujitsu because it was like that in wrestling it was like that shit works well that's part of the conversation i had the other day uh when we were talking about legacies and i said you know a lot of us that come up like me just got lucky you know that i found ron smith that i found that organization 20 years ago because i could have found so many other places and, you know i didn't you know i just lucked out that i found the one that i needed that gave me the foundation to where i didn't waste the last 20 years of my life and unfortunately, there's so many people out there that, you know, and, and I don't even really want to fault it to them because in that conversation, they were talking about another school and like what the instructors are teaching and their lack of knowledge about what they were actually teaching. And the problem is, is a lot of them don't realize that they have a lack of knowledge. They were they were legitimately learning from people who were teaching them 
without the knowledge. And they thought they absorbed what they needed. So a lot of these people that are out there running programs that, you know, I would call a shit program is really by no fault of their own. It's just that they didn't have access to the training that we did. And, you know, being able to find somebody like in the Muay Thai world under Ron Smith's network or for what, that was so valuable to be able to find Vagi 20 years ago, right? Because you could have ended up at any other jiu-jitsu school that was watching it on YouTube and it would have not been the same experience. So I, I don't know. I thought I've, I think that's a blessing in a lot of ways. I think, too, that that's where the modern day competition circuit is. It's so easy to get into competitions nowadays. Right. Like when we started, even in, as recent as 2015, there wasn't 10 or 15 tournaments a year to get into. There was one. Right. And you were traveling to Kansas City at that. Right. And then uh, Jr. came through with Fuji and that became big. And so that that's a realistic check. Like, where am I at and what am I learning? Because if you're at a school, the, the instructors may believe in their heart and soul that they're teaching good, solid jujitsu or, or whatever the case may be. But if your students are going to these, uh, these local tournaments and just getting it handed to them, that's a real check valve, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and what Aaron has always done, and he, d- he does it from the kids all the way up, is he says, you know, we're going to check this at the door. And this is real in here. And you're not, we're going to roll. The kids are going to roll. The kids are going to spar in Muay Thai. We're all going to do this together because we all need to know what is real and what it isn't. Well, we've, right. we've talked about that on here before. I think that's the, like, let's face it, all the martial arts came from places where it was pressure tested. It had to be because it was used in battle. I don't care what asian country it was like that's why the stick stuff in the philippines you you know what i mean Uh, that's even taekwondo like the harang warriors originally were kicking dudes off horses who were trying to kill them but the america you know the westernization of stuff and the commercialization and the money and and i guess i have a question for you guys because i don't want to see that happen to combat sports that that matter or get diluted and do you guys see that happening do you think there's potential for that because that's my only concern with it that could happen to things like the big dojo occasion of occasion to a to a degree over time like not in the next five years but like hey shit in the next 20 do you guys think that's possible is there that concern what's your thoughts well there are a lot of gyms um that don't believe in competition and i never really understood that life is a competition and like this whole like cookie cutter McDojo thing, like you said, um, everybody gets a, a, a sticker or whatever. I, that's that's not real life. That's creating a victim society of entitlement. You know, thinking you're owed something when you you know you put in the work. But um, we've had in school tournaments and we've invi- invited other gyms to come compete, and they're like, well, we don't believe in competition. And I was like, well, what are you doing it for? Like, what are you training for? Like, and then, um, you know, oh, we, we just want to learn self-defense. And I'm like, there's no better form to practice self-defense than in a tournament where nobody shows up to lose. Right. I mean, it's as real, it's as real <laughs> right, as yeah. you can get, you know. Well, yeah, it's still in a controlled environment, of course. Yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a question I'd like to answer because it's, I think, uh, I have an interesting perspective in the fact that I came into the mixed martial arts world when it was really still in its infancy. You know, I started training like early 06 and it wasn't really a thing, right? And we had just had the boom where all the McDojos were now doing kickboxing and jujitsu. And 
I fell into that world then, and I was heavy into the competition world, and then I switched to Muay Thai in uh, 2009, 2010, and then I stayed in that world, and then I really just got out of it completely. And then by the time I started the gym in Farmington in 14 or 15, I was really just kind of all Muay Thai. I had no interest in the fighting. And then it wasn't until um, Eric Irvin came over that we even addressed that at all. And uh, once... Uh, then I just kind of fell out. And when I left in 2016, when I left the fighting world and just kind of got out of the scene, the landscape of martial arts gyms that were in St. Louis was really disturbing because it was such a watered down mixed martial arts everywhere. And there was only a handful of good gyms and you would have to travel a considerable distance. And it was a, it was really not a good place to be if you were not a, in the right gym and, and the quality of everything, the Muay Thai had went downhill, the Jiu Jitsu had went downhill. Everything was just getting watered down. Mixed martial arts was just kind of ruining everything at that stage. And especially in the local community. And so then when I, I, I came back a year and a half ago or whatever the time frame is now, and uh, I got I started searching for gyms. So I had the opportunity. Now I have to go look and find a gym. And so I reached out to you and and I had went and I would visited your gym several times and I visited some others. And immediately one of the things that I noticed is the wealth of good gyms is now a lot. The, it's it's not where is the gym? It's, oh, I have options. There are a lot of the gyms. And then you discovered when she, once I got into the world and I found a gym local to me, 10 minutes down the road from my house that had quality training that I was like, okay, this is at a level that I'm okay with. Right. And you have the ability now to get in there and then now cross train at these other gyms because then the network does there's a little bit of a vetting process now the the gym names now have networks and affiliations and connections and we can make phone calls and i can easily vet you right it only takes one or two phone calls or one or two messages and i can find out what i need to know so if you don't know what you know or you don't have come from where you say you do i'll know right and it's a small community so this is I I don't know I actually think that we're at a we're at a spot where the future's bright. I think that what's going to happen in the quality of mixed martial arts going forward and the quality especially with the evolution of Muay Thai with now the the Taekwondo kicks coming in and some of the different martial art kicks being introduced and used at long range weapons at Muay Thai. You're starting to see true evolution in some of these styles that haven't evolved in hundreds of years. Muay Thai has been pretty puristic. And now, you know, the the star of Muay Thai does Taekwondo. <laughs> you know, think about that. About that. You know, I show up at a Sanchai seminar and I'm trying to learn Taekwondo kicks. I mean, what the hell am I doing here? And, and then, but I think that's amazing and it's exciting. Because as soon as I came back to the gym, what was the first thing I did? I was like, oh, I have a Taekwondo black belt here. Hey, you're going to teach me Taekwondo. And we're going to make this part of what we do now. You know, and then we can evolve too. It's just adding more tools. And I think that's the thing even with, uh, you know, grappling. Like, trained with a lot of people who had a lot of lineages in the Army. I had buddies fought semi-pro MMA. I'd help get ready for fights over time. Uh, and then having trained at an Alliance affiliate before I retired for a while. Like, I'd wanted to train at a 10th Planet gym forever for 
all the things that Tenth Planets is, is kind of known for. Um, and Weed. just <laughs> not that. Uh, no, but not wanted to get high. No, but you just didn't want to be judged. Seeing anymore, the you weird seeing fucker. the differences, you know, like trying to catch gems, trying to whatever. But seeing that the differences of what you can be exposed to, and it helps you tailor your game too. Like it's like, oh shit, you know that really works. I guess to go back to the original question I had because. I started training in 1993. I was three years old. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Uh, uh, but it was still like when and where it was. Yeah, it was Americanized, but it wasn't McDojo-ish yet. It was kind of hard style, like fighting open karate tournaments. And like we were, you'd leave there bleeding. Like it wasn't BS, but I watched the... I watched the evolution of the money get into it. And then the, like, I remember as a black belt, I'm having my black belts punch each other in the face and I'm running a school of 250 training students, getting my ass reamed by the chief instructor. Cause he's like, you're not doing this anymore. We're going to lose students. And I go, these are upper belts and it's supposed to be fighting. Yeah. But because of money, it's the greed that concerns me with westernizations and the dilution. It's not necessarily like awesome. Obviously, the with the tournament, and you kind of see Gracie's doing it with the online blue belt stuff. I've even seen. I'm not going to call out certain systems, but treating treating combatives, having certain people come in, and I'm a three stripe white belt, and I have people coming in like, oh yeah, I trained. I was a purple belt, and they couldn't sub me when we had off time, and I'm teaching them combatives, and I'm like, that's a problem, and it just. Uh, there's always vetting mechanisms, clearly, you know what I mean, but that the money getting involved and keeping it pure with the money where you're having people pay. I'll stay broke. Right. Well, my exactly. so the gym I trained at closed down, and now they train out of a uh, Jeet Kune Do gym. They had to train because in the morning it'd be me and the other guys with hoodies on under our geese because it was very Spartan in the summer. We're in Georgia and it's 100 degrees outside. We have no AC in this thing, and we're on the mats. But my coach was like, dude, I don't know. We just can't keep people. I don't know what the problem is. I said, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's hard. Yep. And everybody doesn't accept the grind and everything else. That's you know, People want climate control and, oh, that hurts and, and, and stuff. And uh, it's more of a cultural issue, I think, maybe. Right, right. Than I think that, that it's a hard line, too. Uh, as an owner, because we got to keep the doors open. So, 100%. So, you know, we can sit here and say it's greed, but then again, like, I got to have a place to train. So, Ain't I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to train Sally Soccer Mom. And when she says this is really hard, I say, okay, we'll, we'll move on. We'll do something. But I, I don't, I don't belt you that way. Right. If you earn a stripe from me, you earned a stripe. Right. right. If you earn a belt at our gym, you earn that belt. And we defend those belts. Ver I don't have I don't have a blue belt or a purple belt or a, a one stripe white belt in my gym that we wouldn't throw and say if someone called and said, I'm a I'm a purple belt. I want to roll. I'll sub your purple belt. And, and our guys are going to give you. Your, we're going to give you your shit. Well, it, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with making money. So when we did it like. I could literally, I went to a mini university on how to sell, promote, uh, market martial arts. Was great at it. The reason I left and finally said, fuck this, I'm going in the army, is when my instructor, my instructor who owned four schools, started 
making it a belt factory because I'm like mm-hmm. that person's not ready. No, this isn't a thing. Like I absolutely and I absolutely think the martial arts can be for anyone, but a hundred percent, you have to have standards. If you right, don't have right. standards, nothing exists. It's just uh, w- there's a sweet spot, you know, because I a hundred percent feel that you have an obligation to keep it open for the other students too. You, you know what I mean? Right. Um, uh, there's, I like to say, like the sweat equity is owed, right? Hundred percent. And however that sweat equity is. Uh, given right like it's a payment plan in a way not everybody's gonna dump amount i've got guys that are coming in they're in seven days a week and they're out grinding in the weight gym and then they're out doing yoga and then i got guys who just need a a a community and a place to sweat a little bit right Mm -hmm. the sweat equity is still being paid it's just at what rate right and or what pace and how they bring it in now, that's on their terms right but that sweat equity still owed you still have to put in that work the mat the the magic of the mats will do the work if you do the work yeah man. right it, what got me was uh we we did contracts and i didn't have a problem with that where i got a problem with it is where the contract was for a belt not for the time and we had a lot well but i mean it was franchised you know what I mean? It was a franchise system, and that's how it was. And I, I was like, and then it became even greedier, where it's like, well, why is this soccer mom who's been training training here for three months all of a sudden in a coaching program because you're trying to push a school on her in X amount of years and just watching that like dilution of what it was supposed to be? Like, yeah, man, you want to keep the lights on? Like, look, you're literally, you offer such a niche skill that people don't have. They should be able to commit to, yeah, I'm, I'm committing to show up here, keep the lights on and teach you. You can commit to signing a contract for X amount of time. I don't have a problem with that. The problem was when it was like, hey, yeah, they signed up for the Purple Belt program. Hey, they signed up for the Black Belt program. And the, and the, and and that's a three year contract, or when they get the belt. Well, what does that incentivize the the business to do then? Like, if they don't get it in three years, which was asinine, because you know in jujitsu that's like ten or whatever, you know, like yeah. it's a different thing for sure. But just watching how it got diluted was was crazy, and I I think it's way less likely just with the nature of sports where you have to pressure test and be competitive. Like you can't practice jujitsu in the air. You can practice movements, you know, some foundational stuff, but you have to apply it on a human and on a resisting human to to whatever, you know. Right. So Scott and I uh, had this vision for uh, Victory MMA. So when we first bought the gym, you know, it had the cliche 90s face smash MMA, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it was five or six fighters, and there was no classes. You know, and me living in St. Louis my whole life, training at highly reputable gyms, I went down there, and they didn't have classes. They didn't do technique. They just beat the shit out of each other. And if a new person came in, they'd beat the new person up and all laugh about it. There was one guy who was telling me, he said, yeah, I went in there one time and got my collarbone broke, and they all laughed and stood over me laughing about it, and... uh and I just thought, you know, in, in, in the fight world, you have fight gyms 
and they're predominantly like unemployed, <laughs> screwing each screwing <laughs> screwing each other's girlfriends. Just, yep, yep. just they're 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 fuck ups, you know. And but me and Scott had this vision. We're like, we need something in between. Now I've gone to other gyms where they were like, all right, your blue belt test in jujitsu. Show me an armbar, and there'd be an overweight middle aged woman. Like oh, I don't remember how. Oh well, you get your blue belt. And it was like, okay, we got to find some middle ground here. <laughs> Where you're not beating each other's brains out, where there's an actual class where you learn some technique, and then if you want to beat each other's brains out, go for it. But but we have to also appeal to the masses. So a friend of ours, Mike Morgan, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He owns Glory MMA, uh, Mountain Grove. And I think Branson, he owns a few of them. But uh, he's a very good businessman, and he said, uh, you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't have a functioning business with a fight gym. Like I would rather have five Sally soccer moms, Joe six packs and their kids than 20 fighters because the fighters aren't going to pay their tuition. Right. <laughs> There's going to be constant drama and they're always bickering and getting into it with each other that were, you have to find some, something normal in between. And that was kind of our vision is we want to be able to train fighters. We want to be able to train high level competitors, but also have other programs that welcomes in uh, normal people that just want a hobby, you know. Right. Like we've talked about that just with, because uh, I've gotten back recently into doing uh, conditioning for me trying to get ready to compete again. Um, and uh, I was talking to Eric the other day. I'm like, look, if you, you won, I could build this out to be a class and we could even do it to pull in some of the because for me i'd rather everybody know how to defend themselves more people on the mats it it's just better because i also know the gym has standards and if if anything i know eric is not going to compromise what his standards are but like you said there's there may be a path to everybody kind of being pulled into the culture for everyone i think that the key is it's it's on the individual uh instructor or Sometimes organization, because that's why people leave an organization. A lot of people left the organization I was in when they started doing that belt for contract kind of nonsense back in the day, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, it legitimizes what you, the work you put it in. It does, but though. that, like, on the business side of it, that doesn't change. Like, some of the stuff I've, I've bounced off him for marketing and sales and stuff for the martial it could still apply now. Like, pushing it out there to people, getting people in the door, all those things still apply because – the culture of the gym sells itself. And I think that's probably on the, the, on the owner, on the coaches, on, you know, all that stuff, in my opinion. Well, I think the culture of the gym matters because it's the camaraderie, but it's also the safety. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest thing. I mean, even for myself, you know, when I was in the mixed martial arts world, especially, you know, the big smash gym, mm-hmm. it was hard to want to commit to training when you don't know if you could stay healthy every day. It's like, am I going to get hurt today? And then you go back in tomorrow. Am I going to get hurt tomorrow? And at some point, you're like, you know, you associate getting hurt with training. And then you can't figure out how do I train without being hurt. And it's an intimidating environment, even for somebody who wants that environment. Dude. You know, you ha- there's a limit to how long you can be in it. I, I had other stuff today. And because of being sick and all the other personal shit I have going on. And Eric's like, you want to grab, I got gi pants just so you can get something in. And I did that without my knee brace and the torn knee I'm working on healing right now. And I still was able to get in rounds because all my training partners knew, leave, like, leave that alone, baby, whatever. But I still got in good reps. I got in pressure-tested stuff because right. of the culture of the gym. 
Right. Yeah. There's, you know what I mean? there's like, like a safety there. You know, you can go in there, you can have a bad day, you know, you can let something go. You know, I tell that, like, especially with the sparring, that was the biggest thing that changed when I went to Ron's. Uh, the gyms that I had been at before, like every time we did sparring, it was 70% up. Like, you know, it was, it was always a brawl. And then I get to Ron's and Ron is at the very end of the class. You, you go through a 90 minute class and then he's like, all right, do you want to spar? And we're all like, hell no. And then you get out there, and then it's like, oh, 50%. And you're like, okay, well, I can do anything more than that if I wanted to, right? And then if you go too hard, he sits you down, right? And now you're sitting in the corner like a little kid, you know, time out, right? And it's, but what it taught me was it creates a safe environment for you to learn. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to get out there and do new things. I got to be able to try something. I got to be able to take risks without the idea that it's going to cost me. And, you know, I got to be able to allow myself to get hit. And when I got myself into that training environment, that's where all the growth began because it was like then I could experience new things and I could go out there and branch out. And and I so I always modeled that. But, you know, then as you realize is as you get better, 50 percent ends up being harder than what you were doing when it was 70 and 80 percent before. So you do still have the benefit of the intensity in the training, but you're still doing it from a much safer space. Well, it's like that's why I think for especially senior coaches or like you and I've beat the shit out of each other and I have traumatic brain injury. I had doctors say, do not get hit in the head ever again. And I remember when you were talking about shoulder sparring and I said, that's a no go. I need punches coming at my face. I gotta, you know, I, I need that, but I'm like, I'm going to pick who I go with. You've popped me in the face plenty of times. You right. and I have left literally hugging each other going, Jesus Christ, that was absolutely awful. But at no point was I unsafe. And the few times I got popped a little too much and I saw some of those indicators of like the floaters and stuff that happens from the TBI, I was like, I'm, I got to chill right. tonight. But yeah. we've left totally getting it in, getting in good reps. Right. And- I wasn't a white belt going in for the kill. Well, it's just the culture of the – it's putting people with people too, which I think is right. – it's so important to have coaches who know – to put people to play to strengths and weaknesses, to challenge people when they're getting ready for something. And like you said, even with like the kids, like, dude, we're a team, you know, a rising tide. Let's raise all these ships. Let's just not try to murder each other. So 20, 25 years ago, everything was as hard as you can. I mean, and especially like with flawed, that was, that was our gym culture was you went into fights with black eyes, broken knuckles, chipped teeth. And that's, and you went in and fought. And, Years later, I was like, we can still work on technique without really damaging ourselves before the fight. Because you go into the fight, you already have to beat the shit out of, you know? And, uh, like, finding that... So I, I think the majority of light sparring or, you know, you stopped in and saw the guys. It was, like, flow sparring. Mm-hmm. But we also do have hard days of beat the shit out of each other because you cannot... Uh, my son one time fought, and he said, all I got to do is go six minutes... And I said, it's going to be the hardest six minutes of your life. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, whatever. And in between rounds, he's like, oh, my God, that was horrible. You know, he only made it two minutes uh, in between rounds. And and I'm like, so you got to have hard sparring days to understand what a real fight is like. It is much more exhausting when you're going 100% for two or three minutes. Even those sparring days don't, like, mimic it. You know, they just give you, like, yeah, they just give you kind of a taste. Like when you'll throw us senior guys out there. And be like, hey, go. Like, mm. I I know for a fact I'm going to get shark tanked like a motherfucker coming up on November. And it's fine, but that's on the coach going, 
You're all, you also know when I'm hurt. Well, what was it you told me, Aaron, when you won? Was it Muay Thai Worlds that you won, right? Senior division? Uh, no, I made or it Masters. To... I'm not senior. Sorry, sir. I was a, I was a runner up. At... <laughs> it's, it's even worse. He was a runner up at the senior. The runner up. <laughs> so, so is there so a discount the... at Denny's for that? <laughs> at the time, well, that was three, four years ago. I wasn't a senior then. Uh... But um, yeah. So basically, I fought through the bracket. So when I fought up at the TBA World Classic in Iowa. Um, I, I cut weight to 190 pounds and the five people that were in my bracket didn't show up. And I drove all the way to Des Moines and I said, well, I drove up here for nothing. They said, well, we can bump you up two weight classes. And I'm like, I drove all the way here. Let's do it. <laughs> so I was fighting, I was 190 pounds fighting 225 pounders. So anyway, I went, I one through the bracket. Unfortunately, the first fight, I broke my ankle, broke my ribs, and had a severe concussion. Muay Thai is a pretty rough sport. <laughs> so I went on to fight for the championship, and this dude was like seven foot tall, 225. <laughs> the bell rings, and he kicks me, and he hadn't even stepped out of his corner yet. <laughs> I, ended up, I, I lost to a decision. But, you know, I was content I was content with that. I went out there and gave it all I got, you know, going into a championship fight with a broken ankle and a concussion and broken ribs. I'm like, okay, I'm getting old. I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you told me is, like, even when you win, you don't win. Right. Like, there is no winning in Muay Thai. <laughs> and, that, and that's why the doctors at the TBI clinic told me no. We had a guy, we had a... We were a Waco affiliate at the jiu-jitsu gym I was at, and we had a kid going to a Muay Thai fight, and I was the only person who did the kickboxing program who'd ever trained Muay Thai too. So I was working with that kid, and I came in to see my clinical social worker, and I was dotted up because I got caught that morning working with him, and she's like, what happened to you? I'm like, I'm just getting a kid ready. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, kickboxing. She goes, no, <laughs> you're not allowed to do this. I haven't brought in like our combatives headgear, the full wrap, whatever. I'm like, what if I wear this? She goes, you have traumatic brain injury. You've been blown up 30 times. No, <laughs> this isn't good for you, you know? And I, I feel that feeling your age thing, but you still push it. Well, it's right? like, like, you know, when I first came back, it's I was 20 pounds lighter and in the best shape of my life, but I hadn't really trained in about 18 months, right? I hadn't done any Muay Thai at all. I kind of got to the point where I was training on my own and I was just like, yeah, I'm done for a minute. And then I went just like in the gym and I became a gym rat. And so here I am in the best shape of my life, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get back into just jujitsu, and I'm going to do Muay Thai. And I felt really good at jits because I don't have shit at jits anyway. So I was like, well, that felt normal. And I get out there at Muay Thai, and then the first thing I realized, it was the impact. I forgot how bad it hurt. <laughs> Everything hurts. And it took me seven or eight months. Not I could physically do everything. I could throw the kicks. I could throw the punches. I had the movement. But my body couldn't take it. I couldn't mm -hmm. take the punches because, you know, you don't realize you build up your punching power over those times from your technique. And then when you go from zero, you go already back to where you ended, you know, and now you're like, oh, man, that that was the hardest thing. Muay Thai is a very hard sport to be old in. It's attrition, man. That's the just the wearing down. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're telling guys, you're like, no, look, you got to condition your body to take those hits. Mm -hmm. I don't like, like getting one punched in the face, though. So right now, I can't. <laughs> Which is why, again, I'll pick. I'll. You guys can hit me. That's fine. But that part of it is just like it's too much damage to the noodle, man. But I still want the reps for, because you don't know. Because ultimately, 
it's still about being able to defend yourself. You know what I mean? Like we've talked about, even if you know what you're doing, if you've taken time off, the human body has a startle response. If you haven't conditioned that out, that's a fucking problem, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, I'll pick training partners and give the guys work where I can. None of the guys want to spar me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anytime I've taken any break, especially getting back to sparring, the flinch response is the hardest thing to pull back. It's human nature. Right. And then my timing is shit. Right. It takes forever to get the timing back. Which is why I told you, no, we're not shoulder sparring. I'll just spar with you or you, me, and Eric will get workouts in or whatever. I'm not really worried about about the guys we're, we're, we're training right now. Right. You know? Uh, but even if I get some guy who just come in who I know wants to swing for the fences, I'm probably just going to cut his legs out from under him. Yeah. Right. I don't know. They're, they were sparring last night. And I told him, I was like, you know, 50%. It was just a nice light night. We were working on some techniques. Man, about every 20 seconds, I hear, bam! And somebody, oh. I was like, man, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they were getting after it last night. It was hilarious. Oh, man. So, you have a pretty accomplished fighting career. Why don't you tell us about yourself, what you've done, some of your fighting? Yeah, so um, I started in, like I said, I took a fight pretty early. Um and I, my very first fight went just swimmingly. I fought a guy by the name of Carlos McGee for a promotion out of Cape Girardeau called Cage of Honor. And, uh, man, like, I, I look back then, and uh, it's, it's just funny how far the gym has come and how far we have come and what we know now. Like, it's one of those things, like, what, what I wish I would have known, right? Yeah. Uh, but I fought Carlos McGee, and we went out, and um, I got knocked out in the first round. And... So, I, you know, you got a decision to make then. Like, whoa, uh, this, okay, I did it. Is that what I wanted to do? But it wasn't. So I said, let's keep going. So we fought again for Cage of Honor. Uh, I fought a guy by the name of Kyle Price. And I still hold the gym record for the fastest knock- knockout, despite what Alex White says. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, I, I knocked that guy out in uh, 22 seconds. And Alex had a smoker knockout in like 16. I said, well, that doesn't count. Yeah. That, that was not Was it sanctioned? Yeah. Is it on, is, is there a video? No. Prove it. <laughs> yeah. So Alex can say that, but he's wrong. We'll so. have to get his, his, he will have to get him on here and get his side of the story. <laughs> I mean, we well, can. We can have the duel. That's right. So uh, at that time, he was still in the gym with us a lot and he still, he still drops in and rolls with us. Alex is a great guy. Uh, probably one of the best people I, I've ever known. I haven't had a camp that he hasn't come in and sparred with me um but that's what's cool about victory like little farm farmington missouri right and we have a 12-time ufc veteran that comes in i mean i call him a vet 12 fights in the ufc yeah, he's a vet. man yeah. knows what he's doing he fought jim miller um i remember that when we found out we were fighting jim miller he came in he said i fight i gotta fight so all of us were like all right man who are we getting ready for who we gotta be you know he said uh, a guy named uh man i can't think of his name uh jim miller or something i said you're fighting Jim Miller? He said, yeah. Uh, you know him? I said, of course I know who Jim Miller is. He's got the most fights in the UFC, dude. And he's like, does he really? He's left-handed. I said, yeah. Yeah, he's a southpaw. So um, so we had him and then like Mike Tiffenauer, who is just a freaking animal. He's just a freak of nature. He's a, a black belt that came up in the Vagi system as well. And uh, we have such good training down there. 
So then my third fight, uh, I fought a guy, and you may or may not know him. If you don't know him, look him up. You will very soon. His name's Tristan Overvig. He fights um, out of the Pedago, those Pedago guys over there. And Tristan, um, he did what Tristan does. It's my longest fight to date. I took him to the uh, last eight seconds of the second round and got armbarred. And uh, Tristan has turned out to be one of my best training partners. You know, it's so crazy in the fight game how you become best friends with the people that you fight. Like even Carlos McGee, the guy that knocked me out. I've tried to fight him like three times. And, uh, and we just haven't gotten back on the same page. But still, every time I fight, I expect a message from Carlos. I expect a message from Tristan and these guys who are high level now um, to, to wish me good luck, you know. And they're they're all just great fighters and then you know just kind of continued from there my fights all go the same Uh, i go out and get punched in the face for about the first minute and a half and then i stop trying to be a kickboxer uh muay thai aficionado and i take him down and um put him to sleep (laughs) i mean that's or or i i take a limb home with me i just find like you say you don't like to get punched in the face i don't mind it um i'm from elvin's missouri so like the hardest part of my body is my head um but i just find jujitsu to be so much more kind to my body uh, than muay thai like on your point there um aaron talks about the culture of fwad's gym and then we spent all this time making the culture of victory as a team. And like our, our, our big thing is we, we say it constantly. All my students say it like, uh, I'm here to make you better today and you're here to make me better today. And if we roll with that <laughs> attitude, then everybody gets better every single day. Right. Um, so that translates into sparring as well, right? Like you have to dial it back. It's just so much easier to dial back in jujitsu for me, I guess. Um, but then we were getting ready to fight Carlos McGee a second time right before COVID. <laughs> And Aaron said, we need some help. And I show up at the gym and he's like, this is flawed. And I was like, all right. Like this giant Bosnian head just like peeked out from the cage. And I'm like, oh my God, who is this guy? You know, he's wearing, um, he's wearing his, his Muay Thai shorts. And I can't hardly understand a word he says, Uh, but Muay Thai is a universal language. And you talk about like, but like things coming back and we still have, just from that short camp that he spent with me, maybe six weeks of intense training. Like I was in shape. I'm running six miles a day. I I had just come off of a fight. Like I'm ready to fight. And Fouad is killing me in the gym in an hour. Like, (laughs) and, and it wasn't that it wasn't the difference between him and Aaron was, I was used to Aaron's training, right? I knew where I could cheat and we're all humans (laughs) and we're all going to cheat. Right. Right. Like that's like you, you lift weights and, the difference between a strict rep and a regular rep. Well, well, I just got rid of the cheating for the strict rep, right? Like, right. And Fouad did that. Fouad got rid of the cheats, and he would see right through it. And, um, like, I just – that camp, absolutely, like, my timing, I wish that, that fight would have happened because I was a different fighter, and, and I could have um, been stand-up. But I, I, tr- I traditionally – just have always gravitated towards jujitsu. And so I'm, I'm far more accomplished in the jujitsu world than I am in the, the mixed martial arts world. Um, I've got a few, you know, IBJJF and, and other, uh, golds and, and I enjoy competing in jujitsu more than I do fighting. I always say I like to fight and then we get a fight booked. And then I, I spend like the first week, like, 
like I check my opponent's Facebook every morning. I'm like, oh, I didn't die. I'm gonna have to fight this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I tell them like they know. Like Aaron knows I throw up before I fight every time I fight. Like, um, I I make a I make a nest and I sleep back there because it's the absolute worst. Like once I'm in there, I'm fine. But it's the waiting. We talk mm-hmm. about it all the time. Bar people are like, whatever. I've been in a bar fight, and I'm like, dude, a bar fight's nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, this thing's coming for weeks yes like <laughs> six eight weeks if you got if you plan on getting a good camp in and and like aaron and i say it all the time it's just this crazy mind game where you're in the back trying to convince yourself you're not gonna die you know like like i've got quite a few fights and i still every time i'm back there like i could just i could die it's like, like a virgin <laughs> prom night bro <laughs> and i text my sister every time and i'm like hey if i die she's like shut up you're not gonna but i could <laughs> this guy's trying to kill me but um so but fighting changed my life and Aaron in the gym, I'm I'm involved very intimately with it, and uh, it just it gives me something to try and be better at every single day. And it's like that unattainable. It doesn't matter, you know. You start, and I can remember looking at the purple belts, Mike T, and thinking like, man, one day I'm going to be a purple belt. And now I'm there, and I'm on the the crest of my brown, and. I can just remember thinking, like, when I get there, I'll feel like I did something, and I feel like I have done nothing. <laughs> and I've won, and I've lost, and I've won big matches, and I've won super fights, and I've done things, and it's like, great, What? but what did you do today? Like, okay. What I'm most proud of, though, is my students, and going and seeing Sally Soccer Mom, maybe not even win, but she hit a double. Right. She had a big double day we've been working on for six weeks or maybe she didn't hit it, but she attempted it. And uh, to see that growth in other people, Aaron told me when he started that he he has I'll let him tell it. But he has a story about his dad and his dad said that like he had worked his whole life or something. Maybe. Can you tell that? What'd your dad say? Yeah. So when my dad retired, um, he said to me, I wish I could have done things differently. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I spent 40 years at a job I fucking hated, sitting in rush hour traffic for two hours every day. And I never accomplished anything. And I'm like, well, you took care of your family and all this. And he said, I wish I would have done something where I could have changed the world. I wish when I was younger, I was all into boxing. I wish I would have opened a boxing gym. And rather than worry about making money, uh, worry about changing lives and helping people. And that really got me thinking about it and i was like yeah so when we open the gym like not only when you're a coach you're also like a counselor too and um you're always trying to help people improve themselves and part of the thing about the gym is like you like you create that gym culture but it's like a group of people that have similar goals and they're all trying to achieve that together but yeah, that had an impact on me when my dad said, I wish I would have done something more meaningful than just work a job, you know? And I was like, all right, that the gym, that's my destiny then, you know? But then to see, like, us grow from that attitude, from the general, you know, from having Aaron as our leader saying that that's, that's our goal. Our goal is not to win fights. Our goal is to be better people and to make the people around us better people. And so we have this core group of, like I said, like Philip Colbertson, he's a purple belt, um, 
uh, Lewis Schilling, a purple belt. Uh, Stanton Catcherside just got his blue a couple months ago, but fought on Bellator. And and uh, the list goes on and on and on. Dakota Smith. And then we've got a boxing program that is just crazy over in Potosi. And I just see these guys, like Aaron says, that, that like what would you have been doing if you weren't in here working hard every day, putting in that sweat equity? And that's what I'm most proud of. I, I can hang belts on the wall. I can hang medals on the wall. And that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, what matters to us is that you came in here in one state and you became a better person, you know? Right. 1% better every Man, day. Man, that was well said. Yeah. Well, and I owe so much to jiu-jitsu. Um, the thing for me that – so two years ago – well, three years ago in um, October, my little brother passed away due to a drug overdose. He was 27 years old. He overdosed on fentanyl. And um, – you know, you have something like that that happens to you. And, and I went through a divorce. Same same month. So, yeah, the last week of November of 2020 was absolutely, you know, 2020 was bad for everybody. But, like, I tell everybody, ah, that's mine. 2020, <laughs> I know COVID, yeah, shut down the world. But I got divorced and my brother died. And when I had those two events happen so close to each other and I just fell apart. And I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. And my boys from the gym came they showed up at my house unannounced they said what are you doing we're training in 30 minutes and i'm like man i'm not training like i had an excuse my brother just died they said yeah i don't care get up get your gi we're going to train and it changed my life in such a way that i could go out there and now i can tell that story to my students and i can say look for the hour that you're here i don't care what has happened in your life i don't care it doesn't matter. Yes, you have this, you have that, you have real life stuff that is happening to you. And I tell them my story. I'm very open about it. You know, my little brother passed away and I had to tell my mom that. And it was bad, man. But I could come in here for an hour, hour and a half and I could drop it. And all I had to worry about was not letting Mike Tiffnauer choke me. And I don't know if you've ever rolled with Mike, but that's yep. a feat. Right? <laughs> and so I, I look at that and I think, like, I am so humbled because jujitsu and fighting and Aaron in the gym and, and Muay Thai and you know Aaron is the Mike Tivnow of our Muay Thai program. You got Aaron swinging at you. You got You forget what's going on in life, and to me, I that's a debt that I can never repay to these two arts. And I think that that's the difference between martial arts and anything else that you can do. I don't think that there's you can be really into chess, but I don't think that it's ever going to take your mind completely to a different place you know right. yeah it puts put things in perspective when there's somebody on top of you trying to choke you or hit you or say it's like th that's the biggest problem that you have to face right there and it's physically something you can handle something that you can address right you, you always have to face it you know you don't turn your back to it you know it makes you face it and deal with it i feel very in line with your guys's uh your dream that you're living, changing people's lives. You're here to just be better than you were yesterday. And it's very uh, in empowering and encouraging to be, you know, so new in the game here in the area and to see you OGs of the area in line with that also, you know. We don't sell fighting or jujitsu or we sell the culture, right? That's what keeps people coming in on the mats and on yeah it's fucking hard but when you're doing hard things with people next to you you're both laying there sprawled out on the mat dripping in training fluid <laughs> and you look over and they're doing the same thing and you're like you got one more in you and you're like fuck yeah let's go 
and you get another one and another one, right? And I think it speaks probably you have the same thing. Like in today's day and age, we live on our cell phones, right? And we have groups set up. So I have a work, like my actual job, my real job that I do. Gross. Spite, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) and, And I have that group. And then like, then I have my friends and my family and then I have my jujitsu groups and the, if my phone rings, if it dings, it's not those other groups. It's my jujitsu group. This, this guy that I've known for two months, right? <laughs> Sending a meme or this or that. And I, I think that that speaks to what you just said. It is absolutely, we sell the culture and the culture sells itself. You said right. it earlier, the magic of the mats, right? right like yep. that's going to sell it. You just get in here. That's what yeah. I tell people. I love this. Like, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to get in there. And Aaron always says, that's what we do here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've lost, I was 230 pounds twice in my life twice not in shape right. rounds of shape right. <laughs> <laughs> rounds of shape but i i lost that both by just training no i very little diet change the only reason there was any kind of diet change or diet thought process was because that you're just in that lifestyle now i'm doing hard work and i need to fuel myself how do i do that more efficiently because i want to be better Right. Right. And that just came with the territory, not because I'm trying to lose weight, but because I'm just trying to learn how to darse a guy better than he can darse me. Yeah. That's what I well, I tell people. We were talking about that a little bit earlier when they say, well, I don't want to be a fighter. So you don't have to be a fighter. You can just treat this like a gym. You know, you're going to go to the gym three days a week. Just show up three days a week. Get a good workout. But at least you're learning something practical and usable in the meantime. Yeah. You know, you'll have you'll be able to defend yourself if you need to. Yeah. What other you know? workout can you do laying down? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've heard I've heard people say that too. Like this is uh, this is a hard workout, and it takes away the monotony of lifting. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It, it, you can kind of get burnt out on that, and it's like um, one of the guys said he was a professional soccer player. He says this is kind of like playing soccer. I'm having fun, get, get working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what got me into it. As I was. Uh, you know, in the military, so I come from high school to the military, and then I and then I get out, and it's the monotony of the push-ups and the sit-ups and the gym and the curls and the bench press, and it's like, you know, and then when I get out, I join gyms, no interest in going at all, and then when you did commit at any point in time, the biggest thing that got me at the gym is, let's say I put in six, seven good months, and I got some real results, and then I took off two, three weeks. Those results go away so fast. I mean, almost instantaneously, and you can't even see anything that you've done. And then, so I started to get interested in the martial arts because I thought, well, it was like more of a sport, something that I could do that was sport related. And, and then I felt like, well, that would keep me more engaged and active, you know. And then, but then once you get into it, and you just get addicted to everything, and then it flows from there. So when your your training partners won't let you take off, yeah. right? Because hey, where's so and so? Like, mm-hmm. why aren't they here? What do you mean they're, what, they're not here? And yeah. it's accountability, A, for you and for me. And what I tell everybody at the end of every class, I shake everybody's hand. Uh, well, I slap and bump everybody, I guess. But uh, every person, I'm very diligent about it. And I tell them, thank you for coming today because I can't do jujitsu by myself, right? I have to have you here. So not only are you accountable, for, or do I make people accountable for being here, uh, but it's it's you become almost like in debt to your training partners and you feel mm-hmm. that yeah absolutely it's i believe jujitsu is probably one of the most individually spiritual journeys you can take that you can't do by yourself 
right? It's uh, 100% within yourself, that battle that you're facing. Everything is individual. I go and compete by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting this person by myself. I can't learn, I can't take that journey without somebody else saying, hey, I'm, I wanna take that journey too, right? I need to figure this shit out too. Let's figure it out together. Well, you know, it helps me, and, and it's kind of a funny thing because it's a little bit of a selfish perspective, but it's Absolutely. selfish by not being selfish. It's, to me, it tricks me into the motivation to train, you know? And, and it's like, you know, I signed up to that commitment with uh, Drew, for example, right? And I was talking to Michelle the other night, and, and I said, you know, I was really thinking about kind of like nagging on that, and I was like, well, I can do my fitness, and she stopped me, and she goes, she goes, no. She goes, you know you didn't commit to that for that she goes you committed to that so you'd show up i was like oh you're right yeah. but it is that's the reality is i'll do it for him yeah well and i'll show up for him i won't show up for me and so that it inspires me my my commitment to my training partners pulls me in it keeps me from getting into that lazy trap sure right. so selfishly i got one real quick my buddy sal back in vegas he and i kind of came up together when i first i started at a catch wrestling gym yeah was kind of not for me. The 10th Planet Vegas opened up and we transitioned kind of together over there. And he lived right next to my house and it was a 45 minute drive to get to 10th Planet. And every day I'd ride up at his house. I'd be banging on his door. I'd text his girl, like, wake his ass up. We go into the gym. That wasn't to get his ass in the gym. You know, I was training six days a week. I'm like, I got to force myself to go too. But if I have to make him also go, it just makes that, you know, that that riding together well you know it's yep. knowing they're going to be there you got that i think the reason a start could be different for everybody but that's why the the coaches the gym owner is most important i i compare it to being in the army right like when i first came back in the army showed up at a unit that was in a transition going from a light to striker the culture was god awful i was like this is hot garbage and then we had one change of responsibility and got a first sergeant from second ranger regiment it was first sergeant alexander as a legend in ranger regiment almost overnight the culture of that whole place shifted and the entire element and you the whole thing changed to the point we're literally in history books for stuff we did now and what we were able to survive just because of the culture that guy created it's kind of the same thing in gyms like my motivation the 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 primary was being retired i'm not going to retire from army career and become the retired fat army guy mm -hmm. fuck no it's not happening <clears throat> but more importantly it was i'm not going to have my two-year-old daughter see her dad not do hard stuff uh but the other secondary thing is if the young guys see the old guys sitting in there getting in rounds with them still sitting in there banging sitting in there still conditioning you know and then you guys call them you know everything going on in my life more than my fucking parents you you, you know what i mean it's it's that and that it's because of the culture that's been created because i've been in gyms that were awful too like I've been, I've been in gyms where because of the culture of the gym, I knew a couple of the guys, and some of them are here now, you, you know. But yeah, like I, I went because I was forced. At that point, my motivation wasn't the culture of them. My, my motivation was my daughter and my own personal stuff. Of I'm not mm. gonna be that fat retired army guy who just quits, you know. So uh, I had a lady the other day came up to me and she said, "How did you get so many great, awesome people in the same building?" 
And I said, I don't know. It's kind of weird how that works out. And she says, you know, I've seen a few douchebags come in, but they kind of weed themselves out. And I'm like, yeah, it's weird how good people do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is fun how we can create the community and make that bubble, you know, and then that bubble will just kind of push the ones that don't belong out, and then it protects itself. Yeah, and that, I don't know. The gym community is a big deal, obviously. I think that's what built this community, right, where the stoned apes came from. Yep. And it originated in the gym, right? That's where we started this. Right. Sitting in the corner. All the other stuff we do together. You know, it bled yeah, on over the into other and businesses. Eric, you know, Eric and I developing stuff that law enforcement's interested in, blending stuff. You know, us going out to the USCCA instructor course together to build other shit. You and I talking mm-hmm. business for consulting you did for us when I was doing that. And all the other things it grows into. It's because of the culture of positivity and accountability, like you said, because we hold each other accountable like a son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, hey, man. Like, hey, you're at the table. It's that this is the round table. Put your sword in the middle. Say what you got to say. Because it's all, it's all with, like, an altruistic, like, goal. Like, you care about the best interest of the table and everybody around the table. Fucking altruism. He hates that word, but he knows <laughs> I'm fucking right. It, it just comes from respect. And there's no yes. better way. Like, jujitsu forces you to respect me. It forces you to. You have to. And, and I don't care if I'm tapping you three times around, right, or if you're tapping me three times around. I respect you because you're here. Because you're right. a small percentage of people. You joined a very small club. It's growing, right, but it's still a small percentage of people. I think you're still more likely to walk past a mass murderer than you are a black belt, right? Like, <laughs> yep. like So, like, like, you're here today. So you're very you're – very, I'm lucky that you're here. Every day. Well, it. I think it's not only, especially in like true combat sports, you're respecting the fact that they're there and they're willing to put their ego on the shelf. Like, regardless, win, mm. lose, whatever. Like, okay, you tap it. You shoulder lock the shit well, out we, of me when we rolled one time. <laughs> uh, it's the only open mats are hard for me. Well, they were. It should change shortly. But uh, at the end. Like, we had some good hand fights, some other stuff, but at the end, you're like, dude, that was a good roll. And I'm like, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. But I'm like, ow. But there, there was zero. The ego's gone. Everybody doing it for any length of time. Right. And I think that's a thing that. That bullshit's gone. You respect it. I've seen is where quality can show is when, like, you are cross training and you are putting, as a coach, putting it on the line, still going out and competing as a coach and still going out and losing as a coach and get even just in the gym having other gyms come in i had a guy who was a bellator fighter come in i've never had a man touch me like that he put me in the wall if he could if he wanted it was bad it was bad in front of everybody and i'm going <laughs> okay here we go and then he's like you want another one i'm like yep because like, how often do you get that you know how often do you i say that as a being a high level in my gym still building new I have to seek that, you know, and you get to a point where you seek those ego checks where Mm -hmm. Scott comes in the gym and I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. You know, like I'm going to have to I have to be on my game if I'm going to put it to him. If I'm going to give him any kind of work that he's looking for, I got to be on my game. Mm -hmm. I think the thing is, is you're in the arena. You're not the people talking about the people in the arena. That's why I said most people fight like dog shit. You want to know why? Because they're not willing to put their ego 
on they, the line. They're not yeah. to have it broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they did it. Oh, man, study. I'd just see red or I'd black <laughs> out. Yeah. 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 I'll just stand up. I'll just stand up. All guys think they're good at three things, and they're usually not good at any of them. Fucking fighting and shooting. <laughs> they might be good at one, maybe. We have that in our gym, though. And Aaron, like, <laughs> we had a guy call and say, hey, my stepson or whatever my step my stepson wants to, he thinks that he can beat me up and I'm a trained fighter so this guy like has trained a lot and he did have a fight um, he actually fought against us out of a out of a different gym and then he came over and started training with us and he said can he come up on Friday night and Aaron's like dude he wants to sign the waiver I don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. so waiver's a son of a bitch so, <laughs> <laughs> that's so I, you know we sit up here and we pat ourselves on the back and then we do shit like that like we have the best culture but if you want to fight sign the waiver we'll oh I'm down know. we're but down hey, to scrap but you, know? That, you right. know what you did though is you still created a safe environment for that engagement to take place in where nobody was going to get seriously hurt and you would have been able to provide medical exactly attention right. if needed. Yeah. And Aaron, that was the best thing he could have done in that he, situation. And he stepped it back even further. He said, you're not going to just get in here and throw. This is a gym. You know, you're not going to come in here and just swing at each other. The first round was kickboxing. Uh, the second, no, yeah, the first round was grappling. So he got him good and tired. Yeah, and yeah, that's so, each other. yeah, that's and then and then went on. And this guy who's not a real good, uh, I can't say he's not a real good fighter. He doesn't train um, enough, right, to to fight at a high level. But very green, I guess, is the best way to say that John is. And he, um, you know, he bested the guy just just because of the limited amount of training that he had. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know that the kid got up and was like, huh. I really didn't think that guy could do that to me, you know, and that's that's a, an awesome thing that yeah. happened. Well, that yeah, is yeah, really that is one of the distinct differences. Like I said earlier, when you go into the gym for seven months and you leave that gym, it goes away. You know, I've had periods where I've had to leave training because of injury or whatever. But you know what? It doesn't go away. It's always there. That knowledge is there. You, that pathway back is always there. Right. And and that's the difference. What, what did I tell that coach in? uh uh, we we did a smoker in Crystal City, not Crystal City in uh, Desoto. Desoto. Uh, we we took our boxing team up there, and we had a guy first ever anything. He had been training for six months. Yeah, fine. six months if that. And um, they said, yeah, we got this guy. Uh, we're gonna put him as the co-main event. And we're like, well, I don't know, man. Like this kid's <laughs> been training six. He's good. But he's not like co-main event. And like ah, I said, who's he fighting? They said, oh, he's fighting this guy. You know, he's he's got he's got a few years, but he hasn't fought in like in like three years, and he just smokes all the time. And we're like, all right, we'll we'll fight. You know, and, and the the owner of that gym came over and said, look to me, he said, look, uh, we're gonna make sure that everything's copacetic, right? And it wasn't. Like, the dude beat the shit out of our guy. And so, you know, these are my people. And I went over to the guy and said, hey, man, what the hell? And he said, yeah, well, he hadn't fought in a long time. really surprised me that he had that. I said, the skill doesn't go away. Just because he hasn't fought in a long time, the skill is still there. He may not have the cardio, but this is a three-round fight. Like, he doesn't need a whole lot of cardio for three two-minute rounds, right? But the skill, like like you're saying, the skill is always there. You still remember how to do it. When I I learned how to sell martial arts back in the day, and I despised the hard sell shit I was taught, but there was something they said that I used because I believed it. And it's the reason why, as soon as my daughter can... She'll train until she's 16. I don't care. If you fell into the, you know how to swim? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, okay. So if you fell in the ocean, you think you could tread water long enough, hopefully if a boat were there, until you could be rescued? I mean, yeah, I, I hope I could. Probably. That's what ch- training to a proficient level in fighting does. It's a life skill. It's just like swimming. You know, people teach their babies how to fall in the water and float. Like, why would you not want that for, especially, like, your daughters or whatever? You you know what I mean? Have that big meathead come in and get choked out by a girl who's Jackie's size. You know what I mean? Or Sarah. Hey, here's this mom with these three kids. Yeah, go ahead and go out in there and tie up with her, dude. (laughs) She just murdered you. Welcome to reality. Now, see if you can decide that you can rebuild your ego enough to come back here and let her do it again and again and again. Well, it's I a life it, skill, man. I think it gives you a different life application, too, because we live in a society that's really kind of void of physical conflict for the most part. I mean, violence, even though it's popularized, it's kind of rare. You know, it's not a real thing in most of our lives. And we see so many people out there that their words are their violence, their actions, their postures, their behaviors. And one of the things that I've realized over the years of me just training and learning to be a confident individual in my skills and my abilities to defend myself is all of that posturing doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's only a very few percentage of people, and Scott said that earlier, that are willing to go that extra step, that have been there, that are comfortable in that space. And that's a a huge power that you possess over so many people because I don't care what they want to do. They can posture all they want, but at the end of that road, they have to answer to you. And some of us will go there and some of us won't. I had a guy one time say, dude, I didn't want to take it that far. He wanted to beat on his chest and <laughs> I didn't want to go to the actual violence part of it yeah, I'd yell at you no you wanted, no, you wanted to, you're going to actually hit me you wanted to have a battle of egos that's all you wanted to do well, that and like the uh, Joe Rogan said how delusional people are in their abilities um, I had a guy I don't know was that a couple months ago he walks into the gym I had just finished mopping the mats at the end of the night and he walks in and he says hey I need to fight somebody I need to fight you and I'm I'm looking at him. He says, God sent me. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy's nuts. <laughs> I said, no, man, I just cleaned the mats or whatever. My wife says, no, that's bullshit. You're fighting him. You don't walk into a fucking MMA gym and challenge the coach. <laughs> so I said, I, he said, I was a wrestler in high school. And I was like, well, here, put this gi on. And he said, I don't want to wear a gi. I was like, I'm a little older. Uh, I need to slow you down a little bit. You know, this guy's in his 20s. And... Uh, and I took him out there, tapped him out. He said, well, let's do a boxing round. I'll do better at that. So I beat him up in boxing. And then by that time, I think Judo John had come over and did some no-gi rounds, choked him out about 20 times. <clears throat> and my wife videos it. I sent it to Scott, and Scott says, man, you're too nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get in this because I don't like violence. <laughs> so I moved to Florida for about four years, and I balanced at a bar. And that solidified my training tenfold and you would not believe the amount of people that think they know how to fight that doesn't and if you think that you're the blackout fighter street fighter that you just you're going to go through a, a, a room of people you're god awfully fucking wrong to been to begin with but the one thing that i liked the most was at the point of conflict i was smooth as butter 
as from all the rounds of sparring that I've done and being the visually the short chubby guy or short fat guy that people don't want to fuck with because during conflict he is smooth as butter. Everyone after a fight or a brawl at the bar after yoking somebody out of they're shaking, they're nervous, I was calm. Mm-hmm. Completely calm. Now the hype to the point, mm-hmm. the hype to the actual conflict, that's where I was nervous. But the second that shit popped off, smooth as butter. Mm-hmm. But your training takes over and it's like I tell everybody, they say, like when I teach, and you probably run into this too, like I'll teach like a knee slice pass and then I'll watch everybody in the group do it and I'm like, nobody's getting the underhook on the far side. Mm-hmm. And I think back like I didn't say that. Yep. Hey, I forgot something. I, I left something out that's uh, very critical here. <laughs> the most important. Um, and they're like, but then like 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 he just said, like I give my girlfriend a hug and I get an underhook like yeah. because it's just and it's not on purpose you know it's mm-hmm. not it's Conditioning. nothing it's just my mind is like no her arm's not coming in there yeah. <laughs> I, I've, a, I've actually had an interesting thing with that because I've been kind of reverse engineering a lot of my stuff and, and the way that I learned was really organic so we weren't necessarily taught detailed instructions even though we were taught how to do things very accurately but it was very organic you know you you just learned by being there it was a process and so I've been breaking that down and becoming more detailed and getting more mechanical and and it's so surprising all the time to me it's I'll demonstrate something and then realize that I'm doing something that I don't even realize that I'm doing and then I'm discovering it's like oh that's why they can't do that because they're not the truck yeah they're not doing that thing over there it's ridiculous so yeah I find that like how many times I've had to just be like why are they not getting this there's 20 people not getting this and i'm like oh that's my fault <laughs> it's my fault it's everybody like that you're yeah. like if it's 20 of them aren't getting it I'm it's my sure fault sure yeah. can't all be wrong <laughs> yeah. i'm thinking back i'm like no i did it i know i did it right yeah but that's a that's a point like that i really enjoy that it's a check right like mm-hmm you look around that room and you see mm-hmm. those people not doing it and you're able to go, oops. Do, you, do yeah. you guys share in this at all? Because as an instructor, you know, your job is to teach all techniques and we don't do all techniques strongly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a lot of times where I'll be out there and I'm demonstrating something that I'm very weak in mm-hmm. or I don't really do it right. You know, how do you feel when you're in that moment? Cause I get self-conscious as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to tell them how to do something that I'm really not even all that great at. I lead with, I don't do this well. Fair. And I tell them that because first of all, uh, I, I'm a coach and I compete and I put it on the line. Right. And so you, I tell them straight up, you will, you will undoubtedly see me fail, right? I'm not even the best person at jujitsu in my gym. Like Mike T comes in and I'm like, this this technique that I showed you works on everyone except him. And I'm trying to figure out why it doesn't work on him. And when I do, I'll teach you. But uh, wrestling for me has never been a strong suit. And wrestling, to be good at wrestling, I, I'm a firm believer that you have to start wrestling early. And I didn't, <laughs> yep. right? Agreed. So I didn't start wrestling early. So, but I can't leave that por- portion out, right? Mm-hmm. So I got good at a step single. I say I got good. I got proficient. Pr- I got I got to where I could train a step single every yeah. now and then, and I got decent at a, at a blast double. And then for MMA, all I did was put you on the cage, or let you put me on the cage, and then reverse it, and then yeah. you were on the cage, and then we could cage wrestle because I got, I could do that. Um, mm-hmm. I tell everybody my wrestling needs props, but I still teach 
double legs every day. I, I teach fireman's carries every day, and I'm terrible at it, but I will tell them that. I will say, by far, I am not the wrestling coach here. Mm-hmm. You need to know this, and depending on what you want to do with this training that you're receiving, you may seek counsel elsewhere, <laughs> but this is not my strong suit. Is it grappling? Absolutely. But right. And then it goes into jujitsu too. I don't play deep path very well. Right. But mm-hmm. I teach DPATH and I say, this is what you need to look out for. I, I know I'm proficient enough at it that I can explain it. Uh, but I tell them straight up, hey, look, if you're rolling my style, you're going to learn from me my style of jujitsu. I'm not going to teach you a lot of DPATH stuff. I'm going to teach it to you so that you understand the basics of it more so that so you can defend it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to learn from me how to smash and how to be on top. And, uh, and how to roll with that, with that heavy top presence and how to get up from bottom, right? And, and you watch our, our kids uh, to our adults roll, and that's what you see. So I think uh, my, my thing is too, yes, I feel embarrassed because you're supposed to be the smartest guy in the room, but at the same time going, I don't know. And also, I lean on people. I have mm-hmm. very good wrestlers. Hey, you want to come out here and show this? Because yep. I, I don't know yep. what the hell I'm doing. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. To go along with what Scott was saying, even in striking, um, I was never very good at any spinning attacks, you know. But, hey, I got this kid over here as a black belt in taekwondo. He's going to show you a spinning sidekick or right. whatever. To where, And I always tell people, like, I've had coaches in the past say, do it my way. It's my way. And it's like, well, I'm not built like you. Mm-hmm. I have to figure out what my way is. So where with my students, I teach them, here's your options you figure out what works best for you like right. some of them are really good at spinning attacks some of them aren't you know right right yeah i always say like i don't know what job you have to do but i have a whole laundry list of tools that i can throw at you you're the one who has to decide which tool works best mm-hmm. for your job right and it's my job mm-hmm. to provide the the list of tools that are available to you you have to do the work of applying them right, right? you have to find that's where the time in jujitsu takes that experience that putting it to the test or the trial and error over and over like this one doesn't work this one doesn't work okay well one maybe why doesn't it work or two maybe you're not using the wrong tool for the right for the wrong situation right and that's that's where we're getting is them having to start deducing their own problems as i'm just throwing the tools at it right I think that's just the journey of jujitsu though too yeah you know well, what i mean it's like it's like uh You'll get guys who are just good at the scramble, get back on top. It's usually more the guys who've done MMA or wrestling or, or whatever, and it's like, yeah, you know that that's your game and that's what you do, or, or like, hey, maybe you're just really slick from the bottom and you don't want to wrestle. Like, I can hand fight like a son of a bitch and shut – I can shut wrestlers down a lot, but I'm not shooting for a leg. Like, I'm not doing a penetrating step for anything. I'm going to try to arm drag you or get a Russian tie or something, you know. But, like, that's why coaches are important. And also, like, okay, work on the stuff your dog shit at. You're already good at this <laughs> other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? You don't have to make that your mm-hmm. game. But if you're in that position now, yeah. like, you can always default back to what you're good at. That can be your game plan for the thing. But that's the evolution of – you know, like you talk about the deep half thing. Like, one, then all of a sudden, when you figure out the Kazushi, that back and forth and isolating the one leg to keep them light or whatever, like, once you have that and stuff and you start going, oh, shit, you figured it out because you worked on it because you sucked ass at it, you know what I mean, or whatever. So, along those lines, our uh, Jason Smith, our black belt that we're affiliated under, um, he owns a 
gee company too and so i buy a lot of geese through him and i was giving him shit one day up there i said you know jason i think i was like midway through my blue and I said, Jason, you know, these gi pants suck. This is the third pair that I wore the knees out of. And he said, well, why don't you try playing some bottom? <laughs> <laughs> and I just told that story the other day, and the, the point is the same. Yeah. And I was like, like it, cl- it, it clicked, right? Like I went, oh, my God, I am the MMA guy. Even in the gi, I am that guy. So I spent a year on my back playing and and working and developing different guards and it was a huge area of growth for me which felt so good because before I hit that growth I was very stagnant why was I stagnant because I was doing what I was already good at right right and that's part of the the creeping up of the ego I don't want to lose these rounds as soon as you decide you don't give a fuck it's about your personal journey like you know exactly well, it's what you know. What Aaron was saying before, and what we've said on the podcast, it's when your pursuit becomes the benefit of others, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, that's when you start to achieve success. That's when prosperity happens. Yeah, absolutely. And then it trickles out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, sir, do you have any other hobbies or things that you are into other than? And don't did you even mention that you were a title holder? Are you a title holder? Um, am I? I don't think I hold any titles. Okay, are you fighting for a title? I thought somebody had said something about um, that. I've had some title. Uh, you know, COVID really screwed me because I'm old, right? I started at 30. I'm 37 now. Okay. Um, so COVID happened, and it, sh- it, sh- it it happened right, you know, 2020, when I should have really been fighting, and we were getting into the swing of things. Uh, my last fight was in February. I fought a guy out of St. Charles MMA, um, Doug Anderson. Uh, he very very skilled he made me look like a baby in striking like i had never struck before um no i don't hold any any titles at the moment i don't think i mean i might um and if i do i'll feel bad because i don't remember it but (laughs) (laughs) i don't hold any important titles i tell you what your your answer to that question is a testament to your humility and character i have been very impressed with your words um, I, I did not know you before this podcast. I don't think we've said more than a few words if we have met. And, uh, you know, um, this was a, a really good opportunity to, to be able to meet you and, and to hear your story and, and how you feel about jujitsu and honestly how much your words really reflected ours in our own culture yeah. and community. I feel like mm-hmm. we're very much doing the same thing just in different spaces, and that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I truly believe, like, as I hate to say, competing business owners or like, because I don't look at that in that way in any way. I truly believe your success is my success. And my goal to be here is to build the community as a whole, right? Which to get the to get the word out that your life can change just by rolling around with some sweaty dudes. And how and how drastically your life will change for the better in the communities that's around and to hear you guys say so much of the same things that we say on a daily basis is beautiful and wonderful and just again is encouraging and keeps me steadfast in the dream too that man like having allies on just that other side right there holding that front down you know we're all working towards the same goal other people trying to put a dent in the universe in a positive way right I do. I have a question for you. Yes, absolutely. You talked about the toolbox, right? Yes, All sir. The tools. You're a black belt. I'm just a purple belt. So I'll ask you, what what tools should I use against Mike T? Have you figured that one out yet? Okay. 
Have you heard of a 12-gauge pump? (laughs) (laughs) 12-gauge. I think I can help you with that. I'm a firearms instructor. (laughs) You know, he's he's a cop, and he's he's a good shot, too. He's a a monster. He's definitely one that you got to – he's a puzzle for sure. Um, I wish I could have more rounds. I could give you a better answer. I've only rolled him a handful of times, and I can't say they went my way. (laughs) Um Avoid it. Keep doing jujitsu. So, <laughs> so like my T, like we all have this running joke. Like, like if I hit, if I get to a dominant position, that's a win. I don't care what happens the rest Man, of the dude, round. Then he's slipping. You got to talk shit. Talk more shit. Oh, you don't understand. <laughs> Everything that Mighty does, I'll be like, that felt like a purple belt uh, head, head and arm. Head and arm, really? You're a black yeah. belt. I, you're not even dazzling. Yeah, anymore. I got a guy like that back in Vegas, and I'll go back and visit. And I don't, dude, I almost got his back for like 20 seconds. So I'm like, dude, you're fucking slipping, bro. <laughs> like, you're slipping. Like, what happened? I lift in the summers. We do uh, Body by Science with Mighty. And, you know, I was over there on Tuesday, and uh, he's like, I got to get a quick warm up in. And he's like Romanian deadlift in 315. And I'm like, yeah, just a real quick warm up. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the garage is shaking when he's dropping it. And and then on top of that, the dude's a black belt in jujitsu. Yeah, know? it's but, a little unfair. Yeah, that's what I said. It is unfair. I think <laughs> I think that the the black belt's advice is talk more shit. Uh, go, heel hook. Heel hook. Well, I've yeah, he's good, man. <laughs> he, defends, he knows how to defend it. <sighs> That's yeah, dude, it's a, he's a monster. <laughs> I haven't even met this man. I don't. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna get him on the podcast. Think he can come on the podcast? Uh, he's he's silent. Is he silent? Oh, yeah. he doesn't. Talk. I mean, he would he's come one on of those probably. Guys. Well, um, we can have a quiet podcast. Very <laughs> one-sided podcast. We should. Oh, we should make that the Shrooms podcast. Maybe he'll talk. Yeah, he we'll probably. all go quiet. It'll just be him. Yeah. <laughs> just stare awkwardly for an hour yeah. and a half. Mike's an interesting individual. He's really, he's one of my closest friends and, um, just, you can get him, we could get him talking. You can get him talking on here. Talking about nutrition. More than one person. That's right. (laughs) Well, fight him with more than one person. (laughs) We are definitely going to have to have you guys back on the podcast. This was a great time. I'm looking forward to collaborating with you, Aaron, especially with the Muay Thai program and getting down there and starting to go out and getting into the fights and, and, uh, appreciate you for everything that you've done there and, uh, Congratulations for everything that you built with your gym. It's been very impressive to to see how you've grown that down from in Farmington and, and all over now and spreading it out to Potosi. And um, you've really carved a niche into the market, and you've done amazing things. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. I want to go ahead and thank our episode sponsors. If you are still following us at this point, go ahead and hit subscribe. Make sure you click that notification bell, and then we will make sure that we keep dropping episodes every week for you. Big thank you to Malevolent Art Studios out of Barnhart, Missouri. That is our man, Anthony Ferguson, over there. Go if you are looking for a high-quality tattoo and you are looking for uh, something that's going to be a good line work piece or a solid color saturation, go hit up my man, Anthony, over there at Malevolent Art. Him and his artist are, are great to work with. He's got a clean shop. He's got a good facility. They'll make sure to show you a piece of work before they put it on you that you are going to be happy with. If you go into the description, look under there, 
there and you will see a link to his shop. Go ahead and reach out and contact him. Mention the Stoned Apes podcast and you will get 20% off of any booked tattoo. A big thank you to Elliot Growth over at eGrowth Productions. He is an audio video company. He does social media and photo and video and he does excellent work. He has done work for us on Instagram and 10th Planet Crystal City. He's done work for the Stoned Apes. Uh, he is currently running the Stoned Apes Instagram page and his work is fantastic. If you're looking for somebody out there to help you with social media or if you just need to get some good photography or videography done, reach out to my man Elliot Growth. In the description you will see a link to him. Send him an email, mention the Stoned Apes podcast and you will get 10% off of any service. Elliot also is a tattoo artist and he is the owner of Gateway Tattoo Studio out of Arnold, Missouri. He, our Elliot is an appointment only artist so if you're interested in getting a tattoo with him you need to send him an email which you will see in the description go ahead and reach out to him with your ideas he does black gray and realism work so if you have some ink like that that you're wanting to get done he is excellent mention the stoned apes and he will give you $50 off any half day booked appointment again Thank you guys for staying with us. We really do appreciate your support. We appreciate Victory Mixed Martial Arts for coming here. Uh, we want to thank all of you. And for this episode, the Stoned Apes are out.